great way to exercise and to practice your navigation through your Bible is by using the Bible, the Bible, the book, because you never know, Google might take down those websites that you are dependent on. <laughs> the Search for True Love, part four. My goodness, part four. I thought it was going to be easy. I thought it was one of those series that's going to be like, oh, you know, everybody's familiar with it. There's really not so much to talk about. But then God just keeps revealing new things that maybe it seems to be important that I don't want you guys to miss. So hopefully it's been beneficial for you. Uh, please turn your Bibles to John, the book of John, chapter 4, verse 7. I'm going to be reading starting verse 7. If you're there, please say amen. <laughs> All right, the prayer warriors, they're used to it. They're getting their practice. John chapter 4, verse 7. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give him, the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you said you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for everything that you have done for us this entire week. We thank you again for your sovereign hand, for bringing us here safe and sound in this building that you have provided for us. We thank you for your sovereignty, Father, for this body of believers that you have chosen for us to be a part of. We thank you for saving us from our sins, for giving us your body, and shedding your blood for us. We thank you for all the workers that have made sure that we are able to worship you in this service, Father. We pray for blessings for the people that you've brought here this evening. With this message that you have prepared through me, Father God, I pray for their hearts to be open and their minds to be clear. That your message, Lord God, will be heard by them and that their hearts and their soul will be fed by you. We pray for the lost, Lord God. May you save them this evening. 
We pray for those who are sick. Please heal them. We pray for the broken relationships. Please restore them. And we pray for comfort for those who are hurting. And we pray for rescue for those who are in trouble. All these things we ask in your son's sweet and mighty name, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. All right. So, search for true love, part four. So, uh, it, I think it always helps to do a recap, right? So, last Sunday... Um, we discussed that the world and everything about it is ran by Satan. And Satan, everything about Satan is against God's will, right? And then the Sunday before that, uh, we discussed like God is like the mother who lost her son, that it's only God, just like the mother who can truly determine who her true child, true son is. It's the same. God is the only one that can determine for us what true love is. Amen. Some of you are um, maybe just getting the messages now, like, oh, okay, that's, that's, that's what he meant. That's, that was the message. And then before that, we, had, uh, we discussed that God is holy. So those are all the things that we've discussed so far in the search of true love. So tonight, we're going to try to give you the practical application, maybe. The practical application. What's the practical application of knowing that God is holy, that God, God is the only one that can determine true love for me, and that the, the world and everything about it is against God? What, how does it apply now? So this is what we're going to try to do. How to find God's best for you. For those of you who are single, that's something. And then the next part is or how to become God's best for someone. And then... For everybody, how to view sex and marriage. I know you thought singing the hymns was, was a challenge for you tonight. Huh? <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking as, as I've been meditating on this, I'm like, man, you know, this is going to be challenging because it's about sex. And, um, well, my daughter uh, is not here because she's sick, so praise God. <laughs> it's kind of awkward if she's here, but... Um, Still, it's still quite awkward, but only be I say that because sex has been corrupted, number one. It's been corrupted in our minds. If we're all going to be honest, the world is what we consume most of the time. If you look at your screen time, I don't know what you've averaged every day last week. Mine was six hours and 43 minutes. <laughs> My goodness, six hours and 43 minutes. I don't think I was in the Word for six hours and 43 minutes. On a daily basis. I try, but not six hours and 43 minutes. So let's begin. We just read John 4 again. We read that last week. We read it again. We read it again tonight. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And then Jesus told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Now Jesus said, You are right. What does this mean? You see the need of the woman to be in a relationship. Five husbands, five marriages that did not work. And then now she said, you know what? Getting married doesn't work. I'm just going to live in, I'll cohabitate, right? So if we try to look and examine that, maybe because the culture before that women truly needed to be married for survival, maybe, right? Maybe, but five 
Because right? the, the point that I made earlier, we saw that in the story of Naomi and Ruth. Not Brockways, but Naomi and Ruth, the book in Ruth, right? That uh, Ruth needed to find a husband so that that husband can help her and Naomi. But this one, I, th- I don't think this had anything to do with economics. Because God told him, her, go call your husband. God knew. God wasn't surprised like, oh, my goodness, you, what, what, you're not married? You're living in sin? I shouldn't really be talking to you. No, God knew it. God was probing her to tell him the truth. At the same time, God was already pointing out to her that what you've been looking for in those relationships, endless relationships that hasn't been working, you will never find through men. The only way that that thirst that you have in your heart, which is for her, it's codependency, the feeling to be loved, the feeling to be needed, the feeling to be hugged and kissed. God's saying, that's not what you need. This is those people are not what you need. Relationships is not really what you need. What you need is me. That's what Jesus told her. In verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. How many times has God revealed to us that we are in need of Him. But how many times do we argue with Him that we say, no, it's a relationship that I need. No, Lord, it's money that I really need. No, Lord, it's the career that I really need. No, Lord, it's for my family to really have fun this summer. But God keeps saying, I'm the one that you're supposed to love. I'm the one that you're supposed to love. And if you love me truly and utterly, it will come back to you endlessly well we give it to other people and then we get frustrated right we give it to our husband or our wife but they don't return it it ends we give it to our ministries but it doesn't come back the right way we give it to our careers and then it doesn't come back we don't get recognized as much as we we believe we should be recognized we give it to our children to our spouse and we say man this is not being reciprocated at least not the way I see it. And God keeps saying, keeps repeating to us, I'm the one. If you drink from my water, you will never be thirsty. If you love me with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, you will never be in wanting. You have to look into your hearts, folks. We have to look into our hearts. When in the search for true love, on the search for true love, I always try to end the message with pointing it, making a beeline to Jesus Christ all the time. But I don't know if you missed it. But that really is the search for true love is Jesus Christ. If you have Jesus Christ, you have true love. Everything else is a bonus. Now, there's different kinds of love. I know some of you have probably been waiting for me to say, oh, is he going to say phileo? Eros and agape. This is the evening. <laughs> when you read love in, in the Bible, there's three meanings, right? The Greek word, Greek words for love is phileo. It describes friendship that is strengthened by shared experiences. Eros means sensual love 
that is stimulated by our senses. And then agape is used to describe the pure love that is unconditionally expressed as an act of the will. We know it. If you've been coming to this church for quite some time, or if you've been a Christian for quite some time, you know agape, eros, phileo, especially if it's a teaching about Peter when Jesus was restoring Peter, right? But how does that apply now on your search for true love? How about some statistics? Because I'm pretty sure some of you are very, quite skeptical, right? Oh, I'm going to go listen about love, and Joe's going to be talking about everything about the Bible. Of course, the Bible is against what the world says, Okay, let's pretend the Bible doesn't exist, right? How about some statistics then? Divorce rate in marriage. In 2002, I got some good news. The divorce rate in America was 2.3 per thousand, which is a decline compared to the previous decades. Imagine. Especially between 1960 and 1990. Contrary to experts' predictions, the divorce rate in America fell by 12%. During the COVID-19 pandemic, I have a theory. Maybe because they couldn't go out. <laughs> and then all those locators, are, are, the technology was working. They, some of the guys have a hard time cheating. <laughs> so they didn't get caught. They didn't get divorced. No, no, no. This is the statistics, right? The divorce rate among couples aged 25 to 39 is 24 per 1,000 persons. Now, older couples divorce less frequently. There are 21 divorces per 1,000 persons. Among adults between 40 to 49 years of age, while the divorce rate for couples older than 50 is 10 per 1,000 adults. This is from a attorney, divorce attorney in Illinois. That's great news, isn't it? I think so. Some of you will probably be thinking, ah, shoot, see, marriage doesn't work, man. Marriage doesn't work. Why are we even talking about, why are you even going to try to promote marriage, Joe? Well, because the alternative is cohabitation, which uh, Filipinos, we know it as living in. You know, oh, they live in sila. You know, they're living in together. So cohabitation, there's also a divorce rate for them. 70% of the sample couples, so there was like, there were, they took 1,300 individuals in opposite-sex relationships in the United States, and they took a poll, okay? So 70% 70, 70 of the sample couples lived together before they got married. Cohabitating before marriage in the United States averages around 70 to 75%, which the study reflects. About 40% of the sample partners cohabitated with previous partners. Those in this 40% who went on to marry subsequent partners who they cohabitated with prior to marriage reported lower levels of marital quality. Why? They explained it here. The majority of couples who cohabitated before marriage noted it just happened. <laughs> it was convenient, so, you know, I mean, I didn't have any choice. I didn't know I was getting there. I thought we were getting groceries. We got married because they said it just happened. What happened? As the response to why they moved into, into together, which indicates more of a slide into commitment, instead of discussing future plans and deciding that they were the best fit for each other. These couples reported lower levels of marital satisfaction later on in the study. 
These studies' most significant finding is that living together prior to engagement has the highest risk factor for divorce. This is the world. This is not the Bible saying it, although the Bible agrees with this. While living together after getting engaged or getting married does not have a statistically significant impact on their divorce potential, this may indicate that couples who opted to live together prior to engagement may have slid into the commitment level instead of making sure that they shared common goals for their future as a couple, thus putting them at a higher risk for marital dissatisfaction and potentially divorce. This is from divorce.lovetoknow.com. What's the point? The point is if you're not trying to marry somebody, but you're living in with them, you're in a consumer relationship. Somebody who marries the girl, this is what we say. The husbands, when we got married, this is what we said. We say yes to our wife and no to the millions of girls. Not that they want us, but it's, that's, what, that's, the, that's the meaning of that. You say yes to your wife or your husband. You say no to the others. So on the cohabitation aspect, you say maybe to your partner, maybe no, maybe yes. And then you go, turn to the world, you say maybe. If this doesn't work out, maybe this will work. Imagine being in that relationship. You know, they said it's like, it's like a 14-year audition, somebody who's, who's been in a 14-year cohabitation relationship. You're auditioning to be the wife of the guy that doesn't want to marry you for how many years already? Or vice versa. Now, Tim Keller in his message, Love Versus Lust, said, a consumer relationship, which is cohabitation, in a consumer relationship, you relate to a vendor and you have a relationship as long as the vendor is giving you a product at a good price. But you're, you're always looking for an upgrade. <laughs> and so what you say to your vendor is that we have a relationship, but you better keep adjusting to me. Because if you don't meet my needs, I'm out of here because my needs are more important than the relationship. We have a relationship, but my needs are more important. If I can get my needs met somewhere else, that's where we'll go, unquote. That's a consumer relationship. So parents, since you're married and you're in this study, this is how you help your children when they're talking about relationships, hopefully. And if you're married, you have to examine how you're treating your spouse. Is it a consumer relationship? Because it shouldn't be. Because the opposite of that is you're in a covenant relationship. Marriage is a covenant relationship. Now, what's the difference between love and lust? 1 John 2, 15 to 16. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Can we just say that? Pause there. If you love everything about the world or things about the world, you love the world more than God. Because you cannot serve two masters. You can't. You can try, but you will fail. Because both worlds contradict each other. You cannot pick things that you like about the Bible and pick things that you like about the world, like in our, in our topic, which is sex. I want to have sex, even if I'm not married. 
or when I'm married, I'll have sex outside marriage still. You can't. It has to be you go with what God says in the word and you stick with that. The next one is, the next point is for everything in the world, because everything in the world is lust. Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes and pride of life. See, lust is greedy. Lust is greed. Lust is, I want this, but I want more of this. Whether it's money, whether it's material things, whether it's relationships. That's why, Christians, if you're looking for a partner, for God's best for you, you have to look for a Christian who loves the Lord. You're looking for God's best in the club? You're going to lose that best in the club. But if you look for God's best in God, God will keep you safe. This is why the verses in the Bible where it says that we are to not yoke with unbelievers, Christians, is true. Because the other people out there, the ones that you're probably going to hook up with or have a relationship with, love the world. And the world is greedy. The world is greedy. The world is upside down versus God's will. It is not legalistic if you want to obey God. It's called obedience. It's called discernment. If the Bible has it there, it's for our protection. If the sign says do not enter, there's a good reason for you not to enter. Easy enough, right? No, it's really hard. Why? It's difficult. Because everything in the world that you consume, we consume, social media, movies that we watch, our friends, our co-workers, our best friend, our guide, the guy that we're listening to, the guy that we're asking for advice, is, we know he's not a Christian, but he's, he, you know, we, we have, he, he has our respect or she has our respect because they're doing something that we like. Whether they're multimillionaires or a billionaire or they're a fashion model that we're trying to copy or emulate. But they're not Christians. They don't believe in God, but yet we copy them. We submit to their advice. How does this apply with sex and marriage? I think everything. Everything applies with the sex and marriage. Again, how we view sex how we view sex has been corrupted because the world has corrupted something pure that God has created. The way we view marriage is stupid. Why marry? It's just a piece of paper. Why commit yourself to them? If it's sex for you to get, if you want sex to get married, that's stupid to get married. We see both things in, in, in the light of the world and we, we think and we have we have swallowed that pill and we are living in those principles already to a point that you have a hard time accepting what God has said, clearly said here. Sex and marriage is designed by God. Amen? Amen. If you're sleeping and we're talking about sex and marriage, this is the perfect time for you to wake up because you might be having dreams that's not going to be good. 
So here we go. Here we go. Genesis 2.24 reads, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and to hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Blessed is the man who has given a wife, the Bible says. Amen? Okay, come on, husbands, that's your plus point. Blessed is the man who has been given a wife. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, okay. If you're sitting with your wife, you better say amen. amen. <laughs> you better, because it's the truth. No, the alternative of that, the alternative of that is you're going to be lonely. The alternative of that is that nobody said yes to all your bola. I took a survey after the service last week, and I asked the wives, I go, what attracted you first with your partner or spouse, boyfriend or girlfriend? Somebody told me, and I find it very cute, his giggle. I'm like, whoa. I'm like, I, I needed to work harder than a giggle. I don't think I got Anna by my giggle. Somebody said, his heart. Oh. My goodness. I'm like, wow. She has x-ray vision. <laughs> Somebody said, the husband is uh, poetic. Oh my gosh. Poetic, like Shakespeare, to be or not to be. Right? <laughs> Imagine. So everybody had those things. So if you were given a wife, somebody believed you. <laughs> Praise God. They fell for it. <laughs> they fell for it. So you better be thankful. Be grateful. But see, look at this. This is the first man and woman ever alive, right? And, and Adam was created by God just speaking, correct? From the dirt, and then here comes Adam, right? Did it say baby Adam? No, full-grown Adam, right? Full-grown man. And then... Out of Adam came the woman, which is Eve, took, got from the rib of Adam. And we're, how come there's mother and father here? This is the verse that where God established marriage. And this, folks, focuses here. This is a side note, I guess, that you, when you're going to get married, you have to be totally independent of your parents. What does that mean? You will choose your spouse over your parents, number one. Filipinos, the moms are getting mad at me right now in their minds. How dare you say that, Pastor? No. If your children get married, they have their priority is now their spouse. Amen? Amen. Amen. And, and, and children, since you made the decision to be married, stop depending on your parents. You're adult enough to get married, but you're not adult enough to pay your own bills? Not adult enough to house your spouse? Not an adult enough to everything else? Marriage is God's design for us. His creation to enjoy and exercise all the three meanings of love. In marriage is where you get to do all the meanings of love. The eros, the phileo, agape. And in marriage, and only in marriage, is where sex must be observed. Going back to Timothy Keller here, he says, Marriage is a covenant relationship. 
It's a covenant relationship. It's not a consumer relationship. It's exactly the opposite of a consumer relationship that says, you adjust to me or I'm out of here. A covenant relationship says, I will adjust to you because I've made a promise. And the relationship is more important than my needs. Somebody say amen. amen. I know, I know, it's hard. My needs are less important than the sustenance of that relationship. Now, if two people get into a relationship, one as a consumer and one as a covenanter, that will be a bad that will be bad for the covenanter. The covenanter will be exploited. Don't say amen. So if you get into a relationship, if you are not both covenanting, if you are both, if you are not both covenanting, it's exploitative. Christian, this is why you marry a Christian. Because you will be exploited. Because you will bring your unbelieving husband or wife to church because you're now wanting, like, I need him to be a Christian now. Because, oh my gosh, it's been so hard. And now you're, and then you hear wives submit to your husband. You're like, no, 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 pastor. <laughs> Tell him to love me. Husbands love your wives. Oh, are you listening? Are you listening? You think if he doesn't love God, you think he will listen and love you? This is why you look for someone who loves God. So you won't be exploited. Because if you both love God and you're both obedient to God, no, it's not going to always be perfect, of course, but you're going to be forgiving. You're going to make a mistake, she's going to forgive you. She's going to make a mistake, you're going to have to forgive her. That's the marriage that works, a forgiving marriage, amen? amen. Marriage is a covenant. Now, covenant is an old word. It's an archaic. There's no other words for it because the word covenant is its own thought category. It's a class of its own. And because of marriage being a covenant, it is the only place and time where God intended for sex to be observed. Why? Because in sex, you reveal everything about you. In sex, in the performance of sex, and eventually in sex, your body changes. The wife will get pregnant, stretch marks will happen. The husband will gain weight, and tummy will happen, right? You reveal everything about yourself in marriage, and you want everything. When I say everything, including your flaws. That happens in, in, in sex, Right? This is why you don't give yourself to someone who didn't say, I want to marry you for the rest of my life. That's why. You don't want to be auditioning to be someone's wife. You don't want to be auditioning to be someone's husband. And you want your sex to be blessed by God. In marriage, that's where it's observed, and that's where it's supposed to be observed only. Again, sex has been perverted, corrupted by the world. The world ran by the enemy. Like anything else that God has created, the enemy, when he gets a hold of it, he corrupts it and destroys it. Amen? 
The enemy seeks to kill, to steal, kill, and destroy. They want to, the enemy wants to steal your virginity. Because what they say about virgins there is you're prude, you're boring, you don't know how to have fun, you're missing out. Is that true? No, it's not. 1 Corinthians 7, to 1 to 2. Now for the matters who wrote about this, is it, it is good for a man not to marry. But since there is so much immor immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The Corinthian believers, when Paul wrote this, they were confused. The teaching of Gnosticism was saying that anything physical is evil. And whatever one does with their body is inherently evil or immaterial. It's useless. You might as well not do it. That's what they were thinking. And they asked Paul about sex in, and in marriage, sex in marriage. Paul said that it is good for man not to marry because if he is wanting to live for God, once he gets married, that man or woman now must live for their spouse. And most of the time, if you want to serve God and you're married, your first responsibility is your? Yeah, just your spouse, your spouse. So Paul is saying, hey, if you're blessed to not get married, don't get blessed and just serve God. But because, he said, because there's so much immorality, you might as well get married. If you cannot control yourself, you have to know that watching pornography is immorality. If you think, oh, I can be single, I'll just watch porn, take care of myself, that's immorality. You're sinning. If you cannot control yourself, you are to look for a spouse. You are to look for a spouse. And for married people, watching porn in marriage is immorality. It is. Should we close in prayer now? <laughs> Paul knew that some of them, that some people will be called not to marry. So he's saying, if you're called not to marry, it's better. But he says, if you cannot control yourself, marry. Sex is God's invention. He designed it. As much as he designed and invented marriage. Sex must only be observed in marriage. Side note, I'm boring some people here. Side note, male and female. Male and female, right? Look, Genesis 1 to 27. So God created mankind in his own image, imago Deo, image of God, all of us. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Genesis 1.21, and God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God told them to multiply, to have babies. To, in order for them to have babies, they have to have sex in marriage because they got married first. And that was the command. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against their own body.
you exercise what the world tells you to have one night stands every weekend, to have different partners until you get married, until you're sick and tired of being, of being single and you have made sure you had sex with as many women as you want and then that's when you get married. If you listen to that, you're probably going to get STD. STD. If you are sexually active, you have to get tested for STD. This is what CDC says. This is especially important for young people aged 15 to 24 as this group accounts for almost half of all the STD cases per year, according to the CDC. Now, a research team, they did this. Uh, Tim Barclay, with P, uh, Dr. Tim Barclay, and um, this is the U.S. statistics in 2022. Look at uh, who's number one here. Now, this is not the county. <laughs> this is the state. So it could be Clark County, <laughs> but hey, be careful. Nevada, 24.9 cases per 100,000 population. Mississippi, Alaska, Oklahoma, New Mexico. They had, the, these are the cases of syphilis and, um, pff, yeah, well, I tried for, it's such a long list. So many different things there. But the whole point is this, sexual immorality hurts the person that commits it. Other sins, the Bible says, other sins that we commit hurts the other people. But the sin of sexual immorality hurts us, the ones that are committing it. If you get used to watching porn, you will never get into a relationship because you have been so used to just getting. That's what lust is. Lust is getting. Give me. Give me now. Give me more now. The love that God tells us, agape, is to, he gives. For God so loved the world that he took. No, what did he say? For God so loved the world that he, he gave. He gave. That's the love. That's the kind of love that you're looking for. You're looking for God's best. You look for people that are unselfish. You look for the ones that love God. They say they love God. There's, there's traits there. They can say they love God, but you have to see if, if what they say is followed by their actions, their life. That's why they need to be careful. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? A Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Christians, I know, it's such a good thing to be Christians. Why? Because we're free. Amen? I told this to an atheist friend of mine, that Christianity is free. And then she goes, she goes, it is? I thought Christianity has so many restrictions. I go, oh no, we're free. Unlike Islam, they have to pray five times a day or else. Or, or Jews, they have to pray three times a day, whether they feel like it or not. Us Christians, we're told to pray, but we're not, we're not told, if you don't pray, you die. No, we have freedom. And then she goes, but don't you have rules? I go, yeah, we do. We have rules, but we're not tied to those rules. God gave us the freedom to obey the rules or not. 
But the one important thing about us Christians too is that the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity, indwells in us. What does that mean? That means we have power inside of us compared to the, our counterparts that belong to the world. We have the Holy Spirit that if we want to not sin, He will empower us to not sin. But He will not force us to not sin. How I wish He would. Especially at the times that I would like to sin. How I wish God would just say, no, you're not going there. You're staying here. Now, word to the married people. We've been talking, I think, mostly to the unmarried ones, right? 1 Corinthians 6, 3 to 5. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. And the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer, not sleeping, prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan, are you guys paying attention here? Would not, won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. See, wives, I'm talking to the wives. I hope I have your attention. Do not deprive your husbands of sex because they can fall to sexual immorality. In marriage is when sex is observed. Amen? It's because some wives, they want to punish. Makulit ka, Oh, you're irritating me? You didn't make me coffee? No sex for you. <laughs> That's not fair. If marriage is designed by God and sex is designed by God in marriage, then spouse, wives, husband and wives, you have to observe it. And if you're not, you have to both agree. And then when you agree, you pray. You pray. So there's prayer to be done. Oh, I don't want it because my head hurts and the husband hands you an Advil. You say, no, <laughs> we're going to pray. And then the husband says, okay, we'll pray tonight. You said, no, sure, we'll pray together. Lord, help me not fall. Let her not fall. But then you have to agree, okay, tomorrow we... We are to observe it. Why is it awkward? This is God's command. Same with the husbands. Doesn't matter how many overtimes you work. Now, physical aspect of it, the physical aspect of it. Wives, you have to smell like the flower that you were. You have to smell good. You have to take care of yourselves. Husbands, you have to be in shape. You can't smell like the, the road. You can't smell like Macaron. Take a shower, work out, look attractive. Right? We have to understand that our physical appearance and our smell matters in this aspect. This is uh, sex in light of the Lord. 
Okay? This is so much easier to watch on, on your Netflix shows, right? It's just so normal there. But when it's in the pulpit, it's so awkward. You see how reverse the enemy has done it? Single people, look forward to getting married. Look forward to getting married. Because in marriage is when sex is observed. Holy and pleasing in God's eyes. I heard some people, Christians, that before they commit premaritals, that before they commit sexual immorality, they will pray together. <laughs> you guys hear me? They're not married. They're both Christians. And then they prayed and they said, Lord, guide us. What do you mean, what do you mean God guide you? He's already telling you to not commit a, a, a sexual immorality. You have to be married to, to have sex. And you're asking him to guide you? What do you think? He's not seeing you? Because you did it in Tahoe. You did it in Carson. You did it in, in Sacramento. God is with you. God is with you. No matter how dark the room is, God can see you. If you are married, you must realize that one of the meanings of love is eros. It is your responsibility. Proverbs 3.27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Husbands, you're welcome. You can save that verse. <laughs> and if you know what you ought to do and you don't do, it's the sin of omission. The search for true love. Search for true love. The more we find out about what true love is, the more difficult it seems to be. Right? Who can stand? Who can stand the magnitude or the immensity of the truth of true love? Matthew 22, 36, 37. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. The love that Jesus referred to in Matthew 22 is the agape love, unconditional, unconditional love. Now, we have been reading it repeatedly in this series, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. Right? And some of you, when you got married, this was your verse. Or they're not here right now, but some of you. Love is patient, agape love, right? The meaning, if you, look, if you look it up on what the real love that we're referring to is the agape love. Agape love is patient and kind. See, if, you're, if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend and they're rushing you to have sex with them while you're not married, that, that's not patient. That's impatient. That's lust. Lust is impatient and lust is rude. Love that God says love is patient and love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. Husbands, we are not to be irritable. Even if we told them to be quiet because we're watching a show. right? We have to be nice. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Uh, right there. You don't say you Keep doing this. That's keeping a record of wrong. We are not supposed to do that. 
It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up. See, that's why you want to marry a Christian who loves God. Because that Christian, God's telling her or him to not give up on you. Do not give up on you. Even if you keep repeating the same sin over and over and over again. Because it's not supposed to be keeping records of wrong. You're not supposed to give up on you. The question is how to look for God's best. The answer is be God's best. This is how you're to be God's best for that person that he has chosen for you. Until, until God becomes your ultimate love, you will keep running after something that is elusive, that true love. Until God becomes your true love, you will never reach it. Just like the woman in the well, remember? The way you are to find God's best for you is that you make yourself, you make God your best, and then consequently you become God's best for that someone that God has for you. God invented both marriage and sex, and he created male and female. Stop believing the lie of the world, the lie of the enemy, that you don't need to marry to have sex. You have to marry, and in marriage is where you can have sex. Stop believing the lie that the more sex you have with multiple partners, the happier you'll be. No, you're wrong. You're going to be sick, and you're going to die from it, and you're going to be broke because you're going to have a lot of child support. For 18 years. <laughs> if you don't get sick, you get child support. Right? The more sexual relationships you can, you can have before getting married, the happier you'll be. No, it's not true. Read Ecclesiastes. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And he died at an early age, around 40s. With all the money that he had, he died early. I have to put that with the 700 wives. You know what the 700 wives said? That's why they kept agreeing to Solomon to get married again and again. You know what their, their mindset was? So that he will be faithful. <laughs> they missed it. <laughs> Fine, you can have another wife so you can be faithful to me. You want another concubine? Sure, just be faithful to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess that was only funny for me. The lie of the world is that the more sex you have, the more multi the multiple partners, it's not going to, outside marriage, it's not true. Real happiness is with God, and real true love is with God. And if you love God, He will give you the true love that you deserve. And once you find that special someone for you, and you are finally consummating that love of sex in your marriage, it will be the best feeling in the world. Start obeying his command to love him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and drink from him. Agape is the deepest and most essential kind of love. In marriage, three facets of love are there. The phileo, friend, eros, and then agape. You know, don't tell Anna this, but she is my best friend. <laughs> she has no choice. <laughs> She is my best friend. And we share many experiences together all throughout the years. Eros, Eros love, is, is of, of course part of marriage. Right? 
And agape being the most essential kind of love, God is our role model for this type of love. He loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, as a provision for our sin so that we might know love and forgiveness. Anna and I, at different times, prayed and received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And at different times, we have offended each other and said the worst things to each other, but we have forgiven each other time and time again. Because that's what God did for us, so that's what we do with each other. Knowing God personally enabled us to appropriate His agape love for us to one another and to those around us. Anna and I have been married since 2002, March 16, 2002, 316. Now, that's been not a smooth ride like Hollywood would want to paint it. It's, we had some rocky roads. We had, if we were a graph on stocks, we were like, you know, like Tesla, you know, Tesla will go up and then at 2 o'clock, Tesla will be down. That's, that's how me and Anna's relationship were or is still. At times. But God is the one that sustains us. I'm pretty sure the married people here can share with that. But again, if you look at John 4, 13 to 14, as we close, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. This water of the world, the love that the world tells you, the lust that the world tells you, you will be thirsty because it keeps changing. It keeps changing. Just like the new cars, there will be another new car next year or by November, I think. Just like with your phones, there's a new one again after you bought it. The world keeps changing. But whoever drinks the water I give them, whoever drinks the love that God gives them, will never thirst again. And I will give them And it will become a spring of water welling up for eternal life. Until God becomes your all, everything else seems to be your all. So you have to obey the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Amen? Let's close and pray. Thank you for your patience. Father, we thank you for your message for us this evening. We thank you for your love that never changes for us. We thank you for... Our spouse, for those of us who are married, we thank you for giving them to us. We pray that you protect our marriages, that you help us to improve, to become better husbands, better wives, Lord God, to them. We pray, Father God, that we will be great examples to our children. And we pray for those single people, Lord God, in this body of of yours, Lord God. I pray that you will give them the wisdom and the discernment to be able to identify who your best is for them. And as they try to look for the best that you have for them, I pray that you will make them to be your best for that special someone that you have for them. We pray for everyone's relationships, Lord God. Please protect them and guide them. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. 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 Thank you for your patience.